The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to The Waking Dream, a poppychularadio.com original series. Poppychula Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, August 8th, 2022, and I am your host, Vincent Hatcher. During this podcast, we will be having an in-depth discussion on Netflix's The Sandman, which debuted on August 5th, 2022. Please welcome my co-host, Priscilla Obregon. Hey, everybody. And the fantabulous Jeffrey Aroots. Welcome back, listeners. Is this a daydream or a nightmare? Stay tuned. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 2, which was titled Imperfect Hosts and debuted on August 5th, 2022 via Netflix. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Morpheus begins his quest to find his tools of power, his sand, ruby, and helm, by paying a visit to a pair of notoriously dysfunctional brothers. Gives us a little bit more some meat and potatoes in our description than some shows like to give you. And before we dive on in, I want to just get your guys' initial reaction overall to the episode because we're on a little bit of a different journey in a different place here. Priscilla, what did you think of the episode overall? My God, I was so entranced by it that, like, I forgot how much time was left i usually like i'm always double checking like how much time do i have left how much do i how much do i have and how much juice do you, does this have to give me but i didn't do that this time so when it ended i was like what the fuck was that i want more what is this it was so good priscilla over here throwing a tantrum <laughs> jeff it was good. It was short. Uh, that disappointed me. Netflix, um, I want more bang for my buck. I'm just saying. I, I mean, can I just say also, the fact that I'm watching a Netflix series and the Warner Brothers slash DC logos pop up, it, that was a little jarring for me. Um, I, like, I knew it was a DC property, but still, it was a little strange. But let's be real, with the mess that's going on over there, uh, HBO Max, Warner Brothers, Discovery Plus, it's probably best that this is on Netflix. But then again, it's on Netflix, and there's a mess going on over here, too. So maybe we should all be worried. But um, outside of that worry, uh, I was like, oh, this is, this is short. Why is, why is this short when I want more? Uh, right? <laughs> you know, and it's funny because... With so much source material that they can pull from with the comics, because there's many volumes, I was surprised that it was going to be so short, and I, I wanted more as well. Uh, but let's talk about what happened. Let's kind of rehash it a little bit. We'll talk about this 37-minute journey that we all went on into Dreamland, because that's where Dream is. He has returned. He has escaped Roderick Burgess and Alex and the years of capture. And he was excited to get home, but he found that Dreamland is not quite what it used to be. From his century of captivity, his kingdom is in complete and total shambles. We got a shot at the end of the last episode, and this time around, we get a full-on view of how bad things are. Everything is crumbling. People have left because they lost faith in him. They thought that he was never coming back, that he abandoned them. Lucienne is there stalwart companion as always ready to let him know that i knew you were coming back but there's not much left so we get a beautiful shot of that very same i don't know if you want to call it a throne room but major room that we saw in episode one in its full glory with the stained glass windows all shattered everything is crumbled dream is like i need to renovate i want to get things back the way that they were but i don't have my tools so i don't know but it gives it the old college try. We get this 
scene of him kind of beginning to levitate and you get a, I don't know about you two, but I got a little hopeful because rocks and glass started to pick up off the ground and it looked like he was going to have this beautiful moment of restoring this room and then he collapses it all comes crashing down and he tells Lucian I just don't have the mojo I can't do it without my tools I need to get them back and so he tells Lucian there's really only one thing that I can do he needs to summon the three fates now Lucian tells him like it is you know that's really really dangerous because they require a huge amount of power to summon and then on top of that you got to have a gift that's worthy of them returning something to you for you to be able to ask. But you're not powerful. You don't have the power to procure a gift. And so he asks Lucienne, is there anything left in my power in this realm that I can use to bargain with the fates? And Lucienne gets an interesting look on her face and she says, there is one thing left in your kingdom that you could. And there's an interesting little facial expression and tone, and you can tell that they both kind of know what she's talking about. So Dream decides that he's going to go find this one thing that has the power so he can get his helm, his ruby, and his sand back. And this is how we meet two people that I, I feel like all of us know, we've at least heard about. We meet Cain and Abel, the infamous brothers from religious history who have a lovely companion named Gregory, a gargoyle, who is pretty much like a giant puppy. He's absolutely adorable. We're actually introduced to Gregory first as he's flying around and Abel is trying to guide him down to land and he crashes a little bit of kind of like goofily on the roof and he comes down and he's jumping and happy. And as this is happening, Cain and Abel are with Gregory and Dream and Lucienne walk up and the brothers are happy. They're, my lord, you've returned. We're so happy to see you. That is until Dream says that the one thing that remains in his realm that has the power he needs to summon the fates is something he gave them a long time ago. And that something, listeners, was Gregory. Now, Cain and Abel are not too happy to hear about this obviously. And we get a little bit of back and forth. In fact, they one of them stands up. I think it's Kane. He stands up to Dream and he's like, you left us. You did this. This is on you. We shouldn't have to sacrifice. And Dream feels that, but Dream pulls the, I'm not asking you. And says that he's going to leave it up to Gregory. And there is a moment where Gregory comes up to Dream and they share a hello together after he's been gone so long and he says i need to ask you something our realm is in trouble and i need your help and gregory willingly agrees to allow dream to absorb him back and take that power back and we get to see the two brothers say their goodbyes and then dream reaches out his hand and gregory painstakingly slowly might i add returns to being dream sand that is absorbed back into dream so he has the power that he needs so let's kind of break this down because this is a lot priscilla i'm gonna open the door for you what did you think of the opening dream being back and the brothers and what he needs to do but most importantly what did you think about little old gregory so being raised in like a really christian household like you know the story of cain and abel and watching Lucifer, like, you've already seen iterations of Cain on TV. So I was interested in seeing, like, what they were going to do with these brothers. Because you can literally do anything. There's, like, no race ascribed to them. There is nothing, like, r really except for, like, the sketches on in, in the comic that you have towards Cain and Abel. So, like, it could be anything. And they did a really good job. Like, they kind of reminded me of dwarves from Lord of the Rings. Like, but maybe that's because, like, they're supposed to look all mystic and old. And they were they were funny. Like, I loved how Abel is just kind of, like, this goofy, like, I love my brother. And and Kane is kind of, like, grumpy very soon today. I love it. Oh, God. But I felt 
bad for Gregory. He was so cute. We saw him in the first episode, didn't we? Like flying around in the um, yes in the nightmare realm, or we saw one of his brothers or whatever. Like maybe another nightmare that looks like him, but I thought it looked like Gregory. So when he when we first got introduced to him, I'm like, this is a lovable little elephant. Like I love him. He's so cute. And when I found out that he had to basically die, turn into nothingness again. I, I was I was sad, but a part of me knew that like this show isn't gonna pull its punches. It's gonna show you like characters that you love, and it's gonna take them away from you. So I was ready for it, and so when he died in air quotations, I was not pleased, but accepting of it. Like I knew that this had to happen, so the story could continue on in a way that Dream could summon the fates and um, I don't know like just accepting of the change in the world so what I'm hearing is if we're ever like in one of those disaster scenarios like stranded on an island and we're trying to figure out what needs to be done for us to survive Priscilla you're the one I'm going to go to because you know what needs to be done you'll probably be good with like this sucks but this is what we got to do and if that means eating people I'm kidding she would no. She would eat us. Is what she's saying. <laughs> She'd club us when we're asleep, and then we would be on the barbecue. Right. <laughs> so, Jeff, what did you think of the opening and the different kind of story we have going on compared to what we had before and where we are now? And of the course, Gregory. Yes, the, the opening was really good. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing the dreaming again. Uh, the ramshacked, ramshackled? Is that a word? I don't know. If it wasn't, I just made it up. It is. But, okay, good. The ramshackled castle was fantastic. It was giving me, uh, this will be an ex- obscure pop culture reference, but it was giving me uh, Celine Dion's It's Called Coming Back to Me Now. Like when he was trying to do the thing, like to re, to like, you know, because there's a moment where she's like spinning. And so it was giving me that. It probably wasn't what it was supposed to be giving me, but it was like, that's what it gave me. Um, clearly, it wasn't going to work because, you know, it's only episode two and it's only 37 minutes. So <laughs> nothing was going to work. Uh, and then we meet Ken and Abel. They were fantastic. Uh, very yin and yang, which worked for me and, and makes sense based off of the biblical story. And uh, and, and Gregory. Adorable. Uh, yes, uh, this isn't the type of show that I think would have plushes and stuff, but if it was the type of show, I, I could see a Gregory plush in the future. I would so buy that. I feel like everyone would, because he was adorable. <laughs> now, Priscilla, it's been a while since I've read, but correct me if I'm wrong, but this Gregory thing didn't happen this way in the comics, right? Uh, I don't remember at, at all. I don't remember. Yeah. So How this was dare both of you forget Gregory. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, obviously I'm a lover of animals. I'm the one that like in a horror movie, I'm like, I don't care so much if humans get killed, but the moment they like hurt an animal, I'm like, oh my God, you bastard. So <laughs> Hashtag fatal attraction. Yes, I was so sad for the bunny. <laughs> also, Jeff, this is why we get along so well, because I also saw a little bit of a throwback to Celine Dion's It's All Coming, it's all back, coming to back to Me Now. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to I'm not going to mention that because I feel like that's really obscure. But see, I should have because you 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 came up with it as well. But uh, no, I really loved the opening. I loved the struggle and. One of the things that I really enjoy about the Sandman series, the comics, is that it's not afraid to show struggling and sadness and people going on emotional and physical journeys. And they they don't really pull the punches. And I was really excited to see this happening in the show. It's not dumbing it down. It's not numbing it so that the, the hit isn't as strong. It was a hit in the gut with Gregory and the brothers and their their sadness and their happiness with Gregory and sadness of seeing him lost. It was it was very, very poignant. And I, I really, really liked that opening section. So while all this is happening and Dream gets his power, we get to check in with 
someone who, if you didn't know any better at first, you might not have immediately guessed who it was. But we get to check in on a, a mature blonde woman who clearly has a lot of money. She's got a surrounded by a lot of artifacts and manuscripts and she's calling different people in different countries and speaking many different languages and using different names now if you hadn't caught who it was in the beginning by the time you get to where she's kind of coming up with different names you probably might have guessed this was ethel because sure enough ethel Cripps is still alive and kicking a hundred years later she's looking really good for her age and she's found a nice living with all these different personas selling these hard-to-find artifacts and items. So with Ethel, we got a little bit last episode after she ran away where she had the ruby and she was leaning over her son. I didn't bring it up in the last episode because I felt it was more appropriate to kind of talk about it here now that we have a little bit more. And with that backstory... We're obviously very curious, what did she do with all of the items? Well, we're not the only ones. Because as he is wont to do, the Corinthians sensed when Dream got out of his prison almost immediately. So the Corinthian is a little bit interested in where all of these tools are as well. They're apparently really hot right now. So he shows up. We get a creepy little horror movie callback to her thinking she heard something or saw something and she's checking her cameras and opening her door. And then she turns around because the Corinthian is fixing himself a drink at her bar. And thus begins a almost episode long little game of cat and mouse, which we'll, we'll talk more about how it plays out. But in this beginning area, he's just there saying that, you know, it's in both of our best interest. If we figure out where everything is, cause he's coming, he's coming for both of us. And Ethel's like, who? He's like, Dream. And she's like, I didn't do anything to him. Well, you kind of did because you took everything that means the most important to him physically, his tools. And so they have this cat and mouse and it goes back and forth. And so as they're winding down, Ethel's playing it hard to get. They have a couple of drinks. And now we'll get to the part where they kind of have a little bit of a confrontation. The Corinthian is like, look open be real with me tell me what happened and she's like well i sold one sold the other passed it along the ruby i don't know i think my son has it but i don't know where he or it is and the corinthian tries to kill her and he gets in close when he's about to do it and ethel's like that's okay because I may not have those, but I've got other things. And she pulls out a magic doodad necklace. I call it a magic doodad because I thought it looked like a doodad. And she kind of holds it up. <laughs> and the Corinthian just disintegrates into his nightmare sand or whatever you want to call it. And he's sent away. So specifically with Ethel and the Corinthian, what did we think of this section? The interaction, the the obvious of, of interaction between two desperate people who only have their own interests at heart. Jeff, what did you think about the Corinthian and Ethel? Well, first of all, I enjoy the Redgrave family. So uh, seeing Jolie Richardson on uh, my screen was really exciting because I was like, okay, I know her. She's going to be good, and I'm glad that she's grown up Ethel. Uh, the whole Michigas in regards to how she got rid of some of the stuff was really interesting. Uh, I kind of wondered, you know, as she was kind of talking about it, like, are we going to see some of that as far as um, is it going to be more visual than exposition? It was exposition. I'm, I'm sure we will get details and stuff because clearly Dream has to collect all this stuff again. So uh, maybe we'll get a little bit more as to how it happened and that sort of thing later on. But for what it was, it was good. Um, okay, since I don't know anything about the comics and I don't really want spoilers, I'm just going to ask a question. But if it's spoilers, you do not have to answer it. My whole thing with uh, the Corinthian is I don't fully understand what he does. I understand he's a dream. He's not a dream. Sorry. He's a nightmare that has come into the real world. I get it. He's power hungry. I get that too. He does not want to go back into the dream world because he wants to have fun in the real world where he can murder people for real, real versus in dream speak or nightmare speak. I get all that. 
I don't really understand the eye situation. Like, we saw him in the previous episode where he had chopped somebody's eyes out and that sort of thing. I guess that's his thing. Um, he mentioned something about, like, well, I will see, you know, I guess once I have your eyeballs in my eye sockets, I guess. I still really don't know. Um, so maybe I don't need the answer to that if they're going to end up explaining it at some point. But um, for right now, I'm very confused as to what the hell the Corinthian does with the eyes. So I hope we get some sort of explanation about that soon. But I found them good together. The Corinthian is interesting. The whole like southern drawl type of thing is like kind of fascinating to me because yeah, I don't know. Um it, it's very um I don't really know what it is, but it it's something and it, it's working for me. Um clearly Corinthian out of all of the nightmare creations, is kind of like maybe the baddest one, it seems. Like that's how they're kind of portraying him, uh, because we haven't really seen any of the other ones. Uh, well, we knew Gregory was one, because uh, it's referenced in the episode, but Gregory turned cute and cuddly. I don't really see the Corinthian turning cute and cuddly. So uh, he seems to be the one that seems to be the most power-hungry. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I'm going with the flow with it, uh, but I did like that Ethel could um, hold her own. Uh, she traded, um, I think it was the helm for the protection amulet thing, uh, and that was kind of cool. So I hope we get to see that in, in effect in the future again. Yeah. Just, I want that necklace, too, that I could just like raise it when someone does something I don't like and they just disappear. They poof away, yeah, and then you know, <laughs> they have no way well, to come back. Is it called the Orb of Protection? Yes. Yes, the Orb of Protection. Or Doodad. Or, was that or Doodad, I like Doodad. The, the Doodad of Protection. Yes. <laughs> Priscilla, the Corinthian, maybe you can uh, answer Jeff's question if you want. And uh, what did you think of this little exchange? I know in the comics they explain it. And I I think in if if I've read spoilers correctly in the show they're gonna explain it so I'm not gonna how like... dare you read spoilers <gasps> that's the devil's work I couldn't resist all right you're and forgiven Facebook is a cesspool of spoilers so well, that is yeah. true yeah but other than that like I love the Corinthian like he I don't know how they got these people with this just presence about them or like he just kind of slinks when you just know that's a good he, word he slinks he's smarmy too yeah he just he's got this swagger to him he's good like if if I had to think of like the tall man in my nightmare who's like following me around or like the boogeyman under my bed that is what I think of, like someone with a presence like that. So they did a really good job. A white man with... that sounds like a Republican? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just call me Big Daddy. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, God. When he was fixing the drink, I was like, girl, get out of there. Find a way to turn the situation around and run because he's going to kill you. From the very beginning, I was like, no, no, he can't. Like, I knew she was going to have more to offer because we need to find out where the ruby is. And so, and she's the only one that knows. But, like, instinctively, I was just screaming at her to run. And I like that she had enough, like, pizzazz to be like, you know what, you, I'm not scared of you. I've got the open protection over here. What the hell are you going to do to me? And she... She waited until the very last second to whip that shit out. I was like, girl, you've got my heart on tenterhooks here. What the fuck? And she's, again, I don't know the, the actress's name. I think she came out on Gossip Girl, didn't she? She might have. But Jolie Richardson? Yeah. But I like her. Like, I've seen her in other things before, and I really like her. I think, and this is like... Just me thinking of like she the French the and the German that she, she spoke. Was not in no damn Gossip Girl. Yeah, I was confused for a second, but I think yeah, you're right. The Jolie Richardson has never even touched the CW. <laughs> <laughs> she it avoids that channel when she's flipping channels on her satellite dish. I was confusing her with uh with the grandmother that comes out there. 
but yeah. Her her accent when she's doing the different um languages is spot on. It's really good. And this is coming from like a Netflix series where sometimes when they do accents, like they just don't they don't do them well. But you you mentioned that the southern accent was good. It is. And her accents when she's doing other languages are good too. And I, I'm just I'm impressed. Do you know what kills me with accents on Netflix the most? Is when you're watching a show that is very clearly, obviously dubbed, and the dubbed actors who are very clearly white and English or American affect the accent, and it's really bad. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> yes, it's 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 unfortunately more common than it should be. <laughs> so I, I have to say that Ethel was never one of my favorite characters. I never really liked her in the comics. And I also used to listen to the audiobook, and like I never cared for the Ethel character, but I really enjoyed her here, and I really enjoyed her last episode. And the Corinthian, I agree. Like it's it's always more creepy to me when the killer or the bad guy isn't just brute force, nasty, or obviously violent. They're genteel and they are sophisticated, and so it's that like, is he trying to sleep with me or is he trying to kill me? Kind of deal, and. The Corinthian, you just never know. He's very unpredictable. And I think both of them had really great chemistry in this scene. And I absolutely loved it. I thought it was really enjoyable. And it it was a very interesting interaction that I feel like is going to have ramifications down the line, maybe. I'm not saying spoilers, because I I legitimately don't remember, but I could be. (laughs) So we checked in on Ethel and the Corinthian, but obviously... We're curious as to what happens with Dream. He's got his power, and now it's time for him to prepare to call the fates. So he leaves behind a very upset Cain and Abel. Abel, despite being upset and sad, wishes Dream luck and well. Well, Cain doesn't like that too much. You know, understandably, Cain's a little bit pissed. So Cain does what he does the most, and he kills Abel. And... (laughs) We leave these two to deal with that, and Dream proceeds to go and visit a very, very Camp Crystal Lake of Your Nightmares type lake, which is where dreams and nightmares reside. And we've got Fog, we've got a narrow pier, and Lucien and Dream are standing there, and Lucien's warning him, you know, you've been gone a long time. Your powers aren't what they were. The dreams and nightmares, they're a little bit running wild. And they're probably not going to listen. It's going to be hard. And but Morphean's like, I got to do what I got to do. I need to do this. The fates need a gift, and this is the only way that I can get them. So he parts the waters of dream, and he walks down some stairs. Or does he fall in? No, he gets pulled in. He probably was hoping he could part and walk down the stairs, but that didn't happen because he does get pulled in. You can tell he was intending on studying and opening his own way, but he got sucked in, pulled into a nightmare and dreamland, and he's fighting through it, but he travels through these various dreams. He keeps his control enough to be able to gather what he needs, starting with a crossroads because the fates are met at a crossroads so he visits a Cambodian Cambodian farmer's dream and he literally picks up a crossroads physically with his dream hand and pulls it out of the dream he gets a serpent and he also gets an egg and once he has these he's done tumbling through dreams and nightmares and after that magical vignette of him gathering everything it's time for him to Consult and summon the fates. So he comes to this area and he summons the fates with a dramatic statement. And the fates show up. Let's stop here, talk a little bit about the fates and the dream world, the crossroads and everything leading up to the arrival of these three. And we'll start off with Jeff. What did you think of dreams and nightmares? Very nice. The whole like situation was, was creepy. Uh, I love horror movies, so uh, the creep factor was really good. Like, when he looked down at his reflection, and his reflection kind of looked malevolent, that was kind of neat. Then he got pulled into it, uh, very 80s horror, as you said, with Camp Crystal Lake. And then just the whole concept that, you know, uh, 
this area has turned chaotic and almost sentient. Um, sentient in a way that, uh, you know, it isn't responsive in a good way because he's been gone for so long. It, it's almost not recognizing him. It's not recognizing that he's the boss. And so he's got to, uh, you know, try his best to, like, maneuver through... Uh, through this area to grab the things that he needs uh, for the fates. I thought all of that was visually interesting to look at. I loved the narration explaining to us, the viewers, exactly what he's doing and why he's doing what. All of it was really interesting. Visually, really impressive. And um, the three women were hella fascinating as well. It was giving me um, Disney's Hercules vibes in a spectacular kind of way <laughs> oh hercules i love that movie <laughs> priscilla what about you man i loved watching kane and abel at when when he when he got mad i was like oh it's gonna get to the killing part and yep it happened and i was like it's almost like ripping off a band-aid that it was just gonna be painful but happen quick and it was just, it was funny. Like, it was a death that wasn't portrayed, like, the way the other deaths have been, which is, like, gruesome or, like, just long and drawn out. I'm still thinking of that crow from the first episode. But, like, this one was just, boop, he just stabs him and that's it. And, oh, my God. As for the dreamscapes, they captured it perfectly when um the hand comes up and grabs the the crossroads that things that look normal in your dream because you feel like you're walking in a in a real world in the dream and then something nonsensical happens like it's it captures dreams perfectly i loved that and the snake and the and the egg i was like wow like he he grabs them like it's nothing, but it to him it is nothing because he is the master of dreams. He's the king of dreams. Like he, he, it's nothing's really gonna hurt him here because he's in charge of it. It's his dominion. But like, oh god! And by the way, when you when you paused right before we get to describe the fates, I was I was shaking my fist at the at, at the screen because I was like, no, this is what this is my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> Well, that's why they deserve their own little segment. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I have to say that I was wary about how they were going to do Cain and Abel. It's been a few years since I've read the comics, but I, I know that they, you know, they are fan favorites, if I remember correctly. And they are also something that it could be done either too gruesome or too comically and not walk the fine line with both. But they did it. They they captured them perfectly. And when you get to see like, you know, their interactions and then it's like the pitchfork in the stomach and and just the he never kills me before lunch, you know, <laughs> it was it, it, I, I thought they were really entertaining. And, and the dream world, I, I'm not going to beat that because you guys covered it. But I, I will say that if there was ever a perfect iteration of what traveling through different dreams was like on film, this was it for me. It was the best version of that I have ever seen done. And the the transition between each dream, his struggle to gain control and to come out on top was so fascinating and so visually beautiful that I I fell in love all over again. (laughs) So as Priscilla just mentioned, our three fates appear, the Maiden, the Mother, and the Crone. Clotho, Lachesis, and Atropos are the names of the three fates. Just a little bit of uh, Vinny's nerdiness, giving my listeners some uh, nerdy trivia there. And uh, they have a very awesome, in my opinion, uh, introduction. Rather than just casually appearing or walking out of nowhere, we get flashing lights, we get one, two, three, transposed on each other. We get storm sounds of lightning and thunder. And it's very much a cacophony for the senses of them showing up. And as the three fates show up, they're clearly nurturing some horror elements. 
they're also don't seem too happy to see dream they're kind of laughing mockingly and being a little bit like what do you want and dream tells them i want something from you i brought a gift and he hands them the serpent well he doesn't really so much hand them the serpent as the serpent comes slithering out of his robes and up the arms of one of them who proceeds to swallow that snake entirely and the fates accept the gift and he is told you can ask us one question each and one question only and so dream proceeds to ask where is my sand where is my helm where is my ruby he finds out that the pouch of sand was last with the woman named joanna constantine wink wink nudge nudge the helm was traded by Ethel to a demon, as we saw for the Orb of Protection. The ruby was stolen from Ethel by her son, John. Now, to each of these questions, Dream is a little bit impatient. He tries to get a second question in each time, and they kind of laugh at him and say, ah, 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 one question only. But he gets to find out what he gets to find out, and he now knows a general rule of where he needs to go a guide and so knowing where the tools are he sets out to go after them even though lucianne begs him not to she just wants him to get some rest to stay here to see if maybe his powers will come back a little bit on their own but he is determined in fact he even says you know i got places to go hell being one of them i gotta be on my merry way elsewhere in dreamland the corinthian who had a little bit of a run-in earlier with Miss Ethel, reappears in Dreamland, he re-manifests, and as he comes back together, he stands up and kind of dusts himself off. Lucienne appears, and Lucienne says, oh, you're back. Well, Dream will have some words with you, and he's probably not going to be too happy with you. The Corinthian is having none of it. He is determined to go back to the real world, to continue his reign of terror, and he pretty much says, if Dream comes after me, I'm going to kick his ass and he's going to die. And Lucian just kind of looks on admonishingly as the Corinthian disappears back to the real world once again. And so we now have Dream and the Corinthian going off about their business. And now we return to our loving brothers, Cain and Abel. We get to see the aftermath of what happens when Cain kills Abel. In fact, we get to see how many times, at least in this particular graveyard, because there are a bunch of marked graves that have been climbed out of. As the dirt starts to turn, we see the egg that was gathered by Dream earlier sitting by the grave. Abel climbs out of the grave and he sees the egg and he's, Oh, my brother left me a gift! Cain left me an egg, and he runs back into the house where Cain is busy being emo over a fire, and Abel's like, hey, we got this egg. Thank you so much for this egg. And he's like, I wouldn't give you an egg. And then he's like, that must have been Dream trying to make up for taking Gabriel. And so Cain is obviously not too keen on the idea, and Abel is very keen on the idea. And while they're arguing about this, the egg starts to hatch. And a brand new baby gargoyle sits in front of them. Dream did remember that they sacrificed, Gregory sacrificed, and so the egg was not an offering for the fates. It was a gift for the brothers, a baby gargoyle that they proceed to argue over whether his name should be Irving or Gerving, because all gargoyle names should begin with a G. And so the brothers get a little bit of happiness by being able to raise this brand new baby gargoyle. And that is close to the end, but we're going to talk about that last little bit at the end separately. For now, I want to kind of just kind of touch base on the fates, because that was a lot going on there with those creepy ladies and the snake swallowing and the brothers and the gargoyle. Jeff, how did you enjoy this part of the journey? You're a classier human than I am, because when I was watching, I was like, did that lady deep throat that snake? And and she did. It was on the screen. <laughs> no, you just said what we were all thinking. Yes. I was like, what is, is this? She's a very talented woman, but she seems to have a lot of time on her hands. But, um, okay. 
So how the fates were shown was spectacular, you know, because they kind of like took each other's place, but without like taking each other's place, if you know what I'm saying. Like it, they just sort of appeared as the main one when they were talking. And uh, I thought that effect, uh, while simple, very effective. Uh, I'll leave Priscilla to keep on talking about them because she said that that was one of her favorite moments in the episode. But I will say I thought they were all fantastic. Uh, as far as everything else, the Cain and Abel situation with the new baby gargoyle, that little gargoyle, spectacular. Netflix, thank you so much for spending a lot of money on that gargoyle to make him look as realistic as possible because it was freaking adorable. Now, as far as uh, the Corinthian, uh, that situation was interesting. It was interesting because, I mean, he was kind of, in essence, for lack of a better word, banished back into the dream realm but then he could just sort of like saunter out of it like that that was kind of fascinating so i was like okay what what kind of uh, you know situation does dream have here because like if you go to the library you got to check out the book you know you got to sign for it you got to bring it back in a couple days like what was dream doing like what was the system there like, if someone was going to, like, you know, visit a nightmare, like, can you visit multiple nightmares at a time? Did you have to return back? You know, what, like, what is Freddy Krueger's deal in this realm? Like, uh, that's what I need to know, because it seems like he could just leave whenever he wanted to. And the fact that Lucienne, I mean, she was just, what was she, like, the, um, the librarian there? Um, which wasn't even planned with my whole book signing out situation. But she was the librarian there. So clearly she has no authority. So he was not going to pay attention to anything that she has to say. But I hope that she does report back to Dream about what happened. So um, Because I got my eye on her. Because she has been very supportive. But this is that type of situation where I kind of can't trust anybody. Except for maybe Dream. Never know. <laughs> Priscilla, I know you are biting at the bit to talk about them. Talk fates to me. Talk Corinthian and everything. This I thought was gonna be like I haven't been keeping up with casting except for like one or two characters. So when I saw the fates for the first time, I was like, <gasps> they're not the same race. They're different. Fuck yes, this is awesome. I love it. It's color-inclusive casting. Perfect. More POCs in this, please. And the person they got for Clotho and Natchezus and Atropos, like, they look beautiful. Like, they all look like aspects of the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Like, as a baby witch, I was like, oh, this is beautiful. I love this. This is everything to me I love the Greek myths coming to life and seeing that snake scene I was like god dang she was hungry that looked like something else entirely and I was like amazed at the scenes where when dream is asking like the the fates the questions and he asked more than once. I was I was waiting for them to be like, uh-uh, uh, no. And the crown was mad when she when when he asked the question. She's like, I told you no more questions, god damn it. Like it was good. And I like I was watching this with my husband and he was like, look like the I knew the fates weren't gonna give him all of the information that 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 he wanted that they were going to be very mysterious and give him like little bits and trinkets of information for the snake that that he gave them and it's going to make for a great episode when he starts using those hints to try and find the rest of his items so i was all here for it i loved the fate scenes they were epic and 
what the, that baby gargoyle has to be made into like a Funko Pop or a plushie or something because I need one. That is beautiful. I loved Irving. That's what I want to call him, Irving. I don't. I, I completely agree with Abel. He looks like an Irving. I agree, and Irving. When he was when eight when Kane was looking at the the fire with the poker, I was like, is he waiting for Abel to come back just so he can kill him again with the poker? Like I was not expecting him to be patient enough to listen to him explain about the egg like he just looked mad he does not look like a morning person but apparently like according to Abel he's nice because he 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 plants him in shallow graves so he can dig himself out so maybe he's not as bad as he appears and the fact that they're both happy in the end and they both get another gargoyle like makes me happy like it, it, it rounded out like what could have been a pretty like terrible time for those two. And a very depressing one for the viewers, that's for sure. I I, I got a little like verklempt when the egg showed up and I was like, Are they going to? Oh, it is a new gargoyle, yay! I was super excited. I like you, Priscilla witchy in my history and especially anywhere Greek myths and, and Greek deities are concerned. But out of all of them, the fates have always been my favorite. And I've always said that like the fates are never really portrayed 100% in the way that they, they kind of have always seemed like they should be. And this was the first time that I've ever seen them done and done well. They, they fully captured the maiden, the mother, and the crone. They even name-dropped Hecate. Um, the casting, like you said, was diverse, and it was amazing. The vocal effects that they did... It, it was very much like, yeah, you're messing with some otherworldly shit here. Don't piss them off by asking extra questions, you know? And it was it was done so wonderfully and 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 beautifully. And the 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 brothers and the graves, I, I thought it was con- a continuation of a, a great display of the relationship of Cain and Abel, which is a very important one. And the way that like. Kane doesn't want to reveal that if he is digging the shallow graves on purpose or not, he's going to be like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And and yeah, the 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 Irving, because he's an Irving to me as well. That's what I'll be calling him for sure. Uh, so one thing that I did really like, too, was that when Dream was going to the Fates and Lucien and him were talking about how serious it was, was that he did mention or Lucian did mention, what if you ask your family to help you? And this was the first time that we actually got a reference to Desire, you know, the other the other Endless. And so for me, he chose the Fates, and this is what the Fates were like. I don't know about you two, but I am really fascinated to see what the siblings are going to be like in this show. Anyone have any thoughts or possible ideas of of what they might be like or what you want them to be like i want to see death because he might have thought that his siblings didn't help him but his siblings goddamn helped like death helped when when megas died and let leaving him a chance to mess with the with with the younger son so i think death is a nice endless and i think that she's she's gonna be cool I'm excited to see Death as well, because that was always my second favorite character after Morpheus. Jeff, any thoughts on what you might want to see from the other Endless? Not really, other than I want to see them. So uh, I hope at some point uh, over the next eight episodes we get to see all of them. That would be awesome. I know there's one in particular that I'm hoping that will show up, and if she does, I will say who it is. Otherwise... When we get to episode eight, I'll say who I hope it is that shows up. So now that he knows where he has to go and what he has to do, we take a step back from Dream for the end of the episode where we see Ethel again. And she's entering a very high security facility that she apparently owns and built specifically to hold her son, John, prisoner. She meets John. Played none other than by David Thewlis, who is a very, very prolific actor. And she goes and speaks to John, and she wants him to let her know where the ruby is. 
because clearly Ethel is more than a little bit worried about both the Corinthian and Dream being after her. And we get a brief interaction with her and John, and then that is the end of the episode. So before we go into MVP, is there anything I missed? Anything that you guys would like to revisit or touch on from the episode that stood out to you? I forgot to mention that during the the scene with um uh the librarian and the Corinthian, I was like, like if I hadn't known anything about both of these two, I would have been chomping at my bit because I was worried the librarian was gonna die. But no, she like she can hold her own and she knows her role in this. And the Corinthian like knows that he doesn't have to stay in the dream realm if he doesn't want to. He can poof out when he wants because he's a nightmare so like they both kind of have their roles and they play them to the part well where she warns him and he leaves and I think she's gonna tell um she's gonna tell Morpheus do you think that Morpheus knows kind of like how the Corinthian knew when Dream got out of his prison I do you think that maybe Dream has like a sense of who comes and goes it might be wobbly considering like all of his realm is gone and like everyone has left and he didn't feel when when his helpers like in the castle have left. So he probably doesn't feel anymore which dreams are out and which nightmares are out. True. Jeff, any other thoughts from you? Just that I wanted more. Like I, after that final scene. And uh, Ethel did allude to the fact that you know, her son took the ruby, and that the ruby took her son. So, the little tease that we got at the end, I was like, is this really all that we're getting in this damn 37-minute episode? Which is technically about 34 minutes, because it's three minutes of credits at the end. I was like, I needed more information. But we didn't (laughs) get it. But we've got eight eight episodes, so uh, hopefully... I'll get it by then. Hopefully. We can keep our fingers crossed and we can daydream about it. (laughs) All right. So before we do MVP, I want to talk theories. If either of you have any ideas of what could come. Anyone have a crackpot theory or a crackpot wish of where they want to see the story go? And I'll just open it up to anybody. Um, I don't know what, like, I don't know if they're going to mess with the, with, with the timing or whatever, but I think they're going to go by the fates, like, exactly, like, he's going to go after his, um, bag of sand first, then he's going to go after his, uh, his, his ruby, no, then he's going to go after the, 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 the mat, the helm, and then he's going to go after the ruby last. Okay. That would be interesting. No, I was just about to say, which I like that idea, because, you know, sort of foreshadowing this episode would be foreshadowing what we're seeing next. What I wonder is, is it going to be an entire episode getting one thing back, an entire episode getting another thing back, and then finally he'll get the ruby back, or at least I'm I'm going to assume the ruby might be the most difficult one to get back. So, like, will the next episode be all about the sand? That would be kind of interesting. I mean, we have eight episodes, so I don't know how, like, what they're planning on doing as far as stretching the story out. And is the story for this season just him reclaiming everything, clearly dealing with the dreams and uh, nightmares that have run amok? So I I guess he has to save the world from this, you know, um, either your sleeping for all of your the rest of your life slash you are awake and you can't sleep you know is he gonna have to like deal with that is he gonna have to deal with uh well clearly he's gonna have to deal with the corinthian so uh after he gets everything will that be what he does that that'll be kind of interesting to watch uh yeah because i have no idea anything about the comics. So uh, I'm assuming this first season will be kind of like a self-contained story dealing with him getting his items back and then him having to fix all of the issues that arose from his century of imprisonment. Yes. 
That is a good question to th- or a good thing to think about, and I've wondered that as well. You know, because they do have multiple issues from the comic series and stories that they can utilize. I mean, even what we're we're dealing with right now could have been the first episode if they really wanted to. They could have drawn it out almost into an entire season itself. So it, it is interesting to to wonder how far they're going to go with it, and I'm excited to see what they play with. My only theory that I have is that we are going to see a a kind of contained journey with the tools and him getting them back. And I feel, and I haven't read descriptions for the rest of the episodes. I'm actually keeping myself blind. Uh, I feel like we will get closure on the three tools and that's where we're going to end. So I would be curious if we got more than that. Like we get three episodes of him getting them back and then we have more after he's got them back. Um, So yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. But now it is time to name the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once they have been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. We will start off with the illustrious Priscilla. You know which one I'm going to choose, and I'm going to be a cheat and choose all three of them because they're all the aspect (laughs) of one. I'm going to choose the Fates. They were so good. They surpassed my expectations. I was totally expecting a bunch of white people. And no, it was different. And it was good. And they had presence. They they demanded respect from Dream. And they were like, no, you're, you're going to ask one question from each of us and you're not getting to sneak past us and get another question in response. Like, you're not getting anything more than what we've deigned the rules here. So, yeah, I love them. Priscilla, I mean this with the utmost respect. I hope you have nightmares for taking the fates from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Jeff, who was your favorite? You know, as much as I want to give it to Gregory, rest in peace, Gregory, because she was not selected, I'm going with Ethel. Ethel was fantastic from beginning to end. Jolie Richardson brought you know, a, a, a steely, uh, calculating, tough character to life. You know, a woman that has seen it all, been through it all, somehow still looks uh, young-ish. I mean, she's clearly older, but um, she should be like 100, I think. So, if not more, because she was older than, uh, than Alex. Yeah, she so, was like in her 20s, I think. Exactly. So she should be like using a walker and she is perfectly fine looking like, you know, a woman in her 50s. So uh, clearly, um, you know, she's been doing something. Uh, maybe, she, you know, she she's here in the U.S., so she might visit the plastic surgeons in Beverly Hills or something. Or maybe we'll find out that there's a little bit more to deals and stuff that she's done throughout the years. But uh, she held her own with the Corinthian. She clearly did something to uh, imprison her child. She was fascinating from beginning to end of the episode. I gotta say, I finally recognize where she's from. She's from Niptak. She is from Niptak, yes. So maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's ruby stealing. Yes. (laughs) All right, so... For mine, I am going to give it to an underdog that has not yet made it into our MVP in the first episode of this one. I'm going to go with my librarian friend, Lucienne. Uh, Lucienne is a pivotal character that doesn't have a massive presence in the action, but is very much a, a cornerstone for Dream. Lucienne was clearly the one that held the Realm of Dreams together as much as she could, You know, she talked about keeping a journal as long as she could to kind of keep track of the day to day and is someone that has very clearly gone through a lot in Dream's absence. But she's also Dream's biggest supporter and believer and the the portrayal of this character and, and the sadness and the heartbreak that she's gone through watching the realm of dreams crumble and then now dealing with. Morpheus coming back and being a little bit of a petulant child stamping his foot like, no, I need to go do this. And he is right. He needs his tools, and she knows that. 
I think this character has been really important to the narrative and is going to continue to be so. And in this episode in particular, the gravity of the performance and the importance of the character struck me the most. So while she wasn't my first MVP, which was the Fates, she was definitely a very, very close second. So now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 Dream Helms? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may, as always, grant it the coveted Golden Dream Helm. What shall we start off with, Jeff? All right. So the first episode I gave a Golden Dream Helm because I was drunk with power. This time around, uh, it was good. It wasn't as good as the first episode. After I watched it, the first number that popped into my head was a 9, which a 9 is still very good, but uh, but that's what I'm going to go with. A solid 9 Dream Helms. A very good follow-up to the premiere, kind of um, setting things up for what's to come kind of like a taste of coming attractions it was all very interesting everybody was fantastic a solid nine for me all right there we go a nine priscilla are we gonna up the ante lower it or stay in the same place surprise us or not my god this is a surprise this is the first time i've ever ranked something higher than Jeffrey, except for one episode of American Horror Stories. But um, other than that, like, I'm never given something higher. I'm giving it a 10. I feel like it was perfect except for the length, which is exact, which I felt was too short. I felt maybe we could have had more time with picking up the crossroads so we could see how Dream delves into the dreams of others. Or, like, we could have had more time with Gregory or, like, so we could feel more for him before he dies like we could have had a little bit more time with something so we could just bask in this realm a little bit more which is why it's not a perfect for me but it's still damn good i still was left wanting more so a 10 for sure awesome so we've got a nine a 10 i'm going with a 9.5 this was actually kind of like you said jeff like a number popped into your head after watching it um, for me, it, it was almost a 10 and I, most of my issue is with the length. Um, but it's particularly kind of what you just touched on Priscilla is that Priscilla, you and I know how much source material there is that they're playing with and how much they could use. And to me, they could have rounded this episode out, spent more time with Gregory, more time with Cain and Abel, more time with those other characters. And while I still think it was a phenomenal episode, it didn't have the same intensity for me as the first one did to the point that like, oh, I see nothing wrong with this episode at all. Um, I do have a slight concern that they are going to jump around it more with characters to where we don't get to spend as much time. And I hope that doesn't happen. I really do because they're off to such a really strong start. But the only feedback I have for this episode is I would have liked more time of up to an hour, you know, to spend with these characters to increase the impact of the feelings we have for them. That aside, I think it was very solid plot wise. It advanced the story. It gave us more background. It gave us information on, you know, where some of these characters are today. It gave us, most importantly, a guiding path for the narrative moving forward. So I am really curious and excited to see where we end up going with that. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of The Waking Dream. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Waking Dream and subscribe. Thanks, announcer.
my dreamy co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Starting off with Jeffrey. Good night, listeners. Sweet dreams and uh, beautiful nightmares. And the fabulous Priscilla. Have fun devouring your snakes, everybody. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to The Waking Dream via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychuloradio.com slash archives. Good night.